0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the California Association of Tactical Officers podcast, where we discuss a variety of SWAT-related topics. We believe tactics are a science, and the art is in how we apply those tactics. My name is Marcus Sprague. And I'm Brent Stratton. Hey, everybody. This podcast episode is going to be a little different than the ones we've done before. This one is with Cato President Brent Stratton, who also is the co-host of the Cato podcast, and myself, and we wanted to talk to you about a recurring theme that has come up throughout the state in our team leader and commander classes and share some experiences that we have gleaned from those classes throughout the state, as well as Brent, who serves as a deputy chief, myself, who is a new lieutenant, and talk about leading up and down the chain of command. And we're gonna use some concepts and principles articulated in Jocko Welling's book, Extreme Ownership, and talk about uh, some examples in law enforcement and hopefully by the end of today's podcast and our discussion, you'll walk away with some tools that you can use to lead up and down the chain of command no matter what rank you're at. So Brent, I'd welcome you to the podcast, but you're the co-host so, uh, and also the esteemed president of the California Association of Tactical Officers and so talk to me a little bit about your passion because you are super passionate about this topic and we've discussed this a few times especially when uh, we finish a team leader commander class it always seems to be one of the topics that comes up how do i lead up the chain of command now before we get started we'll establish a couple baseline things that most of you know brent and i don't know everything and that's not going to change anytime soon but We do have some experience and we do have a lot of information because of our relationship with Cato, learning from all of you. And we can learn from those who came before us. And so that's kind of what we wanted to talk about. Now, the majority of SWAT teams in the state of California and throughout the country are not full-time teams. They're collateral teams. And good or bad, the trend in majority in the state of California is that a lot of those tactical commanders in those teams and people in that chain of command over a SWAT team do not actually have SWAT experience. Now, that's not to say that this discussion is about SWAT teams. It applies to canine teams, drone teams, any specialized function where as you move up the ranks, you don't always have a choice of what you command. And so you do the best you can of helping those people below you so keep that in mind during our discussion that you will always find yourself having a boss even if you're the chief and you will always find yourself leading someone below you even if you're an officer or deputy on your team your tact team your K-9 team whatever it might be you're, you're still a leader and how can you lead down and up the chain of command so brent talk to me a little bit about your uh, you get real excited about this topic so tell me a little bit about Uh, why you absolutely, you have this chapter printed out in your office, you pass it out to dozens of uh, people you work with. And tell me, tell me where that passion comes from about this topic. I think
1: um, this is a topic that I really like because um, I am a fan of Jocko's. And like you said, we're not trying to steal his stuff and replicate it for, for our own as much as You and I were assigned to read this book in the strategic leadership program that Cato put on, and in the entire book, there's a lot of really great takeaways from it. You can read it and look at it as there's some great stories about uh, SEALs and their service and and the things that they do, which is cool, but I really wanted to glean the principles from it, which I believe transcend um, the military service, and there's some natural parallels with the police department, some of the things that we face and all the chapters of the book, this was a chapter that really stood out to me. It was something that hit me uh, between the eyes and made me kind of look at myself and how I've viewed leadership in the past, how I viewed leadership from an officer looking up the chain. And then as I started to um, progress through my agency and as I've Progress even through Cato, I'm finding that most organizations are exactly the same and we have a certain perspective as we look up uh, the hierarchy and then your perspective changes a little bit and it's very easy to get caught up in the day-to-day and all the work that needs to be done and you start looking at things from a quote-unquote higher level. Um, Just a different perspective is all it is and then I find that oftentimes with senior leadership, there is a failure to communicate back down the chain, or there is a belief that you don't owe as much going down the chain um, as those do coming up the chain. And I see that that is a a pervasive perspective as well. So I think this chapter, more than any, any other leadership books or anything that I've read, does a lot to really talk about the responsibility of the line level person or a supervisor or management going up, but the same responsibility that um, executive leadership and any kind of leadership does have going back down the chain. So um, this is a chapter that I, I think really, really articulates that pretty well. I also think that it has a good blend of topics in there on strategic planning, in-state um, commander's intent, which is something that um, I enjoy talking about. If you listen back a couple podcasts Uh, episodes previously where we talked to John Stanley um, who retired from uh, the LA Sheriff's Department and his uh, his thoughts on end state and uh, a lot of the different things that you and I have learned from Sid Hale regarding um, end state and and the use of that that has been a principle that's really made a lot of changes in my life professionally as well as personally and type of person that I am that I want to be and You know my kids, what kind of father I am, what kind of husband I am, and um, it kind of transcends some of the tactical world. So that's kind of why this uh, this chapter I thought would be a great topic for us to talk about.
0: Agreed, and it actually blends with our last few episodes, right? If you if you look at talking to John Becker about uh, culture centric leadership, you listen to John Stanley talk about his experiences at LA County Sheriff's and some of the problems we're having with civil disturbance response. In the last episode where we discussed, uh, where Toby Darby interviews Jack Enter, And Jack actually talks about this topic in a different way. But it all kind of culminates in taking responsibility for yourself, taking responsibility for your unit, taking responsibility for wherever you might be in that chain of command. So if we break down those principles, this is chapter 10 in uh, Jocko's book Extreme Ownership. If you break down those principles, uh, Brent, how would you start that? If I
1: would go in into it there's you know there's three main points um, that I take away from this chapter, and um the the main portion that I got you know starting in there is really talking about understanding the plan and the, the strategic plan and and in it, you get into page two twenty seven and Leif is talking about how he didn't fully comprehend or appreciate the strategic impact of all the different things um, that they'd done in the organization. You know, he, he talked about how he had not done a good job of passing that information down the line. And that's something I've seen in police departments. It's, it's something that I've done myself, right? It's very easy to get caught up in, in the tactics, in the movement, in that type of um, focusing on, on the training and the technical, um, competency that needs to occur in the technical expertise. Like that's important. We, we expect our guys to have that tech, technical expertise to be able to perform and to be able to perform well. And that's what I see from um, from from tactical teams. But there's oftentimes a failure to see how that technical expertise interfaces with the mission. It wasn't something that I saw a lot coming up um, from my perspective um, in a tactical team, and maybe it was there. Maybe our commanders did have the plan and they had those things at the command post, but I can tell you if so, it wasn't it wasn't communicated down. So when I, when I saw this, it really struck me as being an area that I think we could do a better job of, is, is understanding what the overall plan is and what we're trying to do and i think again that's a component of identifying what is your end state what is the commander's intent and you know establishing those things early on in a briefing setting if you can on a pre-planned operation, or even in some sort of a developing operation, you know if it's reached a static point before the team's able to deploy, being able to identify that information in a, in a hasty briefing, or if not, once everything is stabilized, as the commander being able to get on the radio and identify what you know the end state is and what your intent is. I think just starting to to do that you know, operationally as well as in training scenarios or having those conversations is going to go a long way into helping your officers understand how their work fits in the big picture that you have there. And then really even taking it a step further and at a later time being able to understand how that fits in your overall departmental mission. That's not something that at least um, I saw a whole lot of and is something that really sticks out to me as an area that I wanna work and improve on in my own life.
0: Yeah, and you know, keeping in mind that, uh, and I'm someone will do the math on this and email me that I'm wrong, but 98, let's just call it 98% of the teams the state of california that are swat teams or collateral teams and but this applies to any team canine team patrol team doesn't it it doesn't debate it could be your brand new police officer that works graveyards on the weekends it's all the same keep in mind that a lot of these leaders are spinning in their hamster wheel all day long also they're generally speaking in my experience at my shop overworked Running from meeting to meeting, trying to deal with your budget, trying to deal with staffing, trying to deal with personnel problems. And a lot of times that's where our communication breaks down. And they don't take the time to communicate that all the way down. And then you don't get that situational awareness at your mid management position. Therefore, you don't get it below. And that's where we talk about leading down. Leading up is the same thing. You may inherit a tactical commander as I have who uh, in the past who does not have any SWAT experience. You may have an entire command staff at your agency that doesn't understand what SWAT does or may even have a bad opinion of your team based upon their experience with some of its members in the past or currently. And then it's your job to educate them and to bring them along so that they have that faith and trust. And Jack actually in his last interview for our podcast, the last episode, Jack talks about that. I've taken the responsibility. And if you are briefing someone, and Jocko brings this up too, and they have a lot of questions, then you failed to answer all the right questions. And you can't always blame them. You have to take some ownership on my next briefing will include that that content.
1: Right. Yeah, man. And and so that's one area that I I think, um, you know, kind of spoke to me. And then it kind of bleeds into, you know, the next principle that they identify um, in the same chapter on on like, and you've touched on it a little bit about leading down the chain. And and, um, so there's a, a part that I underlined here and it talks about you know tactical level operators are rightly focused on their specific jobs and they must be in order to accomplish the tactical mission they do not need the full knowledge and insight of the senior leaders nor do the senior leaders need the intricate understanding of the tactical level operators jobs still it's critical that each have an understanding of the other's role and it's paramount that the senior leaders explain to their junior leaders and troops executing the mission how their roles contribute to the big picture success so they articulated it um you know it looks way better than than we did but it's it's um A principle that I think is oftentimes missing in leadership. And like I said, you do um, a lot more than I do throughout the state and throughout the country in teaching a lot of these courses, but in being around team leader courses and being around SWAT commander courses, and a lot of the conversations we have on a daily basis throughout the state with Cato members, this is one area that seems to be a common theme that other people see as being problematic in their agencies as well so i think it's it's we're all fairly similar in that regard
0: yeah and if you uh you talk to jack enter and he'll uh he'll give you some examples of stuff uh, you know from the 70s 80s 90s and and it absolutely 100 percent applies to right now so this is not a unique problem it's not unique to your organization now it's going to be different Depending upon the culture of everyone's organization, but recognize that it is an inherent problem throughout our profession, and we all need to take a little bit of ownership uh, in that in that piece of the pie, whether we communicate up or down.
1: Yeah, for sure, and and really like like you're talking about too. We all need to take a piece of the pie, but I. I don't know how often we do how often we are really that introspective about it, you know, and and when we start talking about leadership, everybody talks about how you're perceived down the chain and, and, and passing on information down the chain. And that's, I mean, that's good. That's, that's important. And, And, you know, we'll finish a point there before we talk about the inverse component of that, which is leading up, but talking about going down the chain, one of the things it talks about too, which was important to me, and, and you, hint, you hit on it too, is it it, it says, you know, to, to regularly stepping out of the office and personally engaging in face-to-face conversation with direct reports and observing the frontline troops in action to understand their particular challenges and read them into the commander's intent, right? It, that makes me think, like you said, it. In you, we can get caught up in budgets and discipline and meetings and the variety of different admin things we we do, but none of that stuff matters if we're not communicating with those who are actually doing the work and those who are the ones that are they're going out and trying to make uh you know the commander's intent a reality so i'm not sure how often that's happening on a day-to-day basis and it's, it's okay to be a little bit removed it's okay to have a different perspective like that's that's part of the checks and balances that's part of what we need in order to be able to function but we we still have to get back down and understand um a, a ground level truth and it is extra work it's extra time it's hard to, to be able to make the time to do it but i don't think you're going to see an organization or a team that has success if you're not getting out and doing that at at some level
0: yeah and that kind of leads to an example where if you don't understand what your boss is asking or you feel that it is unreasonable then Get a better perspective, get a better picture, uh, because that person's your boss, whether you pick them or not. And we've all worked for, uh, in the words of Jack Enner, we've all worked for idiots. I've had several tactical commanders over the course of my career that had no SWAT experience at all, and they all approached it from different levels based upon their comfort. I've had one that said, hey, I don't have this technical, uh, tactical expertise. I'm going to rely on you. But I'm going to help you learn about budgets. I'm going to help you learn about liability. I'm gonna help you learn about staffing.
1: How awesome that they showed the humility to do that.
0: yeah, true. And my and my props to them? Yeah. and they they not
1: the rule that that type of person is probably the exception.
0: Yes. and then I've had others that uh, micromanaged out of out of fear and uh, and I've talked to a lot of teams and team leader courses up and down the state that often inherit a tactical commander with no experience and get frustrated when they have to stop and explain basic things but they have to remember this person does have leadership ability or your agency wouldn't have put them in that position and a lot of times unfortunately and i'm I'm not saying i agree with this it doesn't really matter if i agree with it or not these people will be placed in there to check the box to say they've done it and to gain that experience and you're responsible for training these leaders in what you can do and what your capabilities are. And you can be frustrated and make it adversarial or you can recognize it. Now, I'll give you an example. A team I know went through so many tactical commanders, like one every year, that they they grew accustomed to doing a one day training where they performed their five basic functions in scenario fashion so they could demonstrate it to their new tactical commander, and they would assign someone to be the tactical commander's handler, and privately explain each of the missions as they watched the team perform their tasks in the in the order, you know, setting up containment, setting or setting up long rifles, setting up containment, setting up a react team, probing uh, the area. You know, doing that kind of thing on each mission and explaining why they did it, how they did it, what the radio traffic sounded like to put that tactical commander at ease. And I thought that was pretty progressive to to do that so that you don't have to argue at three in the morning of why you may need to use hot gas or why you need to, to perform whatever tactic it may be. You need to make them comfortable. Now, I would take that a step further and, and argue that... I would do that to your whole command staff, depending upon how big the agency is. At least the people that are in your chain of command, so they feel comfortable. I, I think that in the end, admitting what you can't do, admitting what you can do, will only help you get better training and better equipment. I
1: mean, some of the points you're talking about, I'm, it's taken me back to our, our very first uh, interview that we had with uh, Tim Anderson, where he talked a little bit about, um, some of those challenges in leadership and people being assigned to certain areas to check a box or to develop them a little bit administratively. And especially if they haven't previously had that experience and you know, on one hand, I I disagree, I disagree with it. On the other, I, I see some I see some value um, in that, and at least giving them a little bit of an understanding, um, so that way it helps their overall competence as they progress throughout the entirety of the organization. But I think ideally, it's best to put somebody who is you know, you know passionate about it, who does have a little bit of that experience. But um, it, it can be situationally dependent. I'm aware of people who have been commanders who have been excellent commanders who are not operators, right? If that's their level of, um, if they, if that's where they're interested now, maybe their career just didn't lend to it at a certain point, but that doesn't mean that they, they wouldn't do well at it. I mean, we see people that come in the SWAT commander course, um, all the time. I'd say the vast majority of people that take our SWAT commander courses are new to the tactical world and, and good on them for coming to get some of the training to be able to, to understand it. So I don't think it's, it's one or the other to, to take a, Tim's principle, round peg, round hole, square peg, square hole, right? So it's it's not, it doesn't have to be one way, um, one way or the other, but this team that you're describing that put that training on, I mean, that is what bleeds over into, you know, our third point on this, which is leading up the chain of command. And that's not something that's talked about in leadership at all. I'm not saying it's not discussed in any leadership books. I'm just telling you, none of the books that I've read Have I seen that? And that principle has really stuck out and meant a lot to me. And that's the reason that I've taken this chapter and, uh, you know, I have photocopied it and sometimes throughout, you know, the last several years when people will come in and they might complain about a certain supervisor in a certain area and we're having a conversation or a mentoring conversation, I will take the copy of this and I will give it to them. And I'll say, read that. And then let's come back and let's talk because there is a personal accountability in there. To try and make your boss a little bit better. It, usually, the people that are the most frustrated are people that are uh, they're very passionate, they're experts, and their bosses don't have that same level of experience and expertise. So this allows you to be proactive in helping, trying to shape that. Now. If you're that person, and hopefully you have a boss that's humble like the, the, the boss you described, and somebody who understands communicating down the chain, and you have down the chain who's taking some ownership and being able to educate and communicate up the chain to be able to be on the same page and speak the same language, now we're talking about putting your team in an organ, in, a, in, a, in a situation to be able to succeed you know, operationally as well as administratively, which is furthering the overall departmental mission. It's just, it's, it's a simple concept, simple, not easy, I guess it's a simple concept. And maybe I'm, I'm simple-minded that it, that it, uh, I saw this and, and and it flipped a a light switch in my head, but like anybody else, I, you know, complain about your boss is an American pastime,
0: you know, and, and, uh, I don't know... Says that... a guy who's a deputy chief, yeah. And just so you know, in case you were wondering, you are simple-minded.
1: <laughs> I, I know it's true, man. Simple jack all the way around. But <laughs> but, but uh, it is something to to, to to think about. I'd be lying to you if I told you that I you know understood this and applied this all the way up. You know, I think there's times that I did, but I, I wish I would have done a better job at it. I wish that... Um, you know even now it, it it helps me to um to go back to this and go okay i'm not speaking the same lang- same language right now um obviously I, you know i work for uh, for the chief but i have a lot more interaction with city council members with city managers city staff assistant city managers uh finance directors and then being able to take that same principle and be able to apply it that, okay, I need to create some education from my perspective, going up, uh, the chain of command to be able to educate on some of the things that we're seeing. And then me being humble enough to be able to receive it coming back, um, from them as well to help be able to put the department in a good perspective. So, um, that's a, it's been a a critical
0: point for me and, and it's, it's really helped me a lot. So going back to the book, and then talking a little bit more about that. One thing that is easy to do when you build up uh, expertise and your leadership skills, maybe you're an informal leader, maybe you're a formal leader and have been assigned a team leader position on your team, or you're the senior canine handler. It, it doesn't really matter what team we're talking about. It's easy to think that because of your knowledge and expertise that you are, you're irreplaceable. and Uh, and you can argue with me in front of everybody right now if you want, but no one's irreplaceable. I agree. And one of the the machine will keep working,
1: man. It might not be as good. um, It it might not be as great as you would do, but this machine will keep going. That's the beauty of working in the job that we do, right? It's something that's bigger than all of us. It's something that we all want to be a part of, but the flip side is something being bigger than you is just that it's bigger than you. So it's, I agree with you 100%. And
0: a lot, of, a lot of folks think that you're older than me based upon your looks, but I'm actually significantly older than you. Yeah, it's just that I'm, I'm, I'm bald and,
1: and fat, and it makes me look older. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> and, uh,
0: but I, I totally remember being a rookie cop and watching a guy that I worked with when I first got out of FTO retire. And I remember watching him load up a cardboard box out of his locker walk out the front door and that was it and someone else took his spot and the ship moved on and so our our job no matter what rank we're at is to make the ship a little bit better row a little bit better get our folks to row a little bit better but understand that the ship will never be perfect and if you focus on the fact that it's not perfect you will constantly be disappointed yeah because it's run by humans. Better, not best, right? I mean,
1: you know, they try to make it, focus on making it a little bit better. We're trying to make it better, not just not just the best. And, you know, whatever analogy or metaphor you want to use about, you know, rowing or, or you know, moving the ball forward, uh, you know, pushing a rock up a hill, whatever it is, you know, we're just here to make things better within your department, make things better in your community. And, you know, this is why, you know, Cato is kind of a labor of love for you and I, we spend a significant amount of time with this, this nonprofit and we volunteer a tremendous amount of time to it because our hope is that we're somehow making somebody better in their department. That's making their community better. That's making their city, their city safer. That's making, you know we're bringing up the level of, of professionalism in California law enforcement. And as California goes, oftentimes so goes the rest of the country that maybe we're making things better throughout the rest of the country. It's really a big reason why we're not just focused on SWAT teams. We believe that tactics don't just belong to tactical teams. Tactics belong to every officer. So we're hoping that this you know transcends that. And it goes to canine teams and EOD teams and CNT teams and street level Um, Enforcement teams, whatever the case may be, in that they're able to take these and take some of these principles and be able to apply them. We're not talking about you know the the how to on these things. We're not given you know, checklist, we're talking about principles and really a lot of the things that we do, we highlight, whether it's Sid's book, you know, Field Command, or we're talking about End State, or we're talking about Extreme Ownership, or we're talking about Jack Enter's book. The The common theme is that we're talking about principles. So if we, anybody can take these principles, figure out how to apply them in your shop, in your life, in your corner of the world, man, more power to you. And and really what's been great for me on a lot of these areas is I find that it trans it transcends that I I put it towards my personal life too like what do I want you know my kids to be and am I doing am I doing something every day to help raise them to grow up to be that person you know and uh, there are things that I didn't do with my older two that uh, I'm I'm doing with my younger two I'm trying to learn to, to help to maybe try to put them in a position to 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 be the type of uh, adults that I, that I'd, I'd like for them to be, so.
0: Well, props to Walker and Texas Ranger. I hope they're right. doing good.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's. It, I don't know, man. It's this is why it's a, a topic that I really dig, and uh, that's why I, I really like this chapter.
0: So let's go back to the book a little bit. Talk about leading up. I want to read you this quote, and then uh, I want to talk to you about a principle that uh, I got to say I struggle a lot with. I struggle a lot with, as a lieutenant, I have a lot more situational awareness of the organization. And as a deputy chief, you know, as the higher you go in the rank structure in your organization, no matter where you work, the more outward facing you're going to become. And uh, that's why everybody loves the rank of sergeant the most, because you're out in the field with the troops and uh, you get the camaraderie. And then the higher you go, the more you have to face out. And a lot of times you get less camaraderie because you're dealing with more external external customers. So I'm going to talk about leading up the chain a little bit. And I'm going to, I'm on page 237. If your boss isn't making a decision in a timely manner or providing necessary support for you and your team, don't blame the boss. First, blame yourself. Examine what you can do to better convey the critical information for decisions to be made and the support allocated. Leading up the chain of command requires tactful engagement with the immediate boss. Now I want to throw something out at you about this. A lot of times, uh, and I was guilty of this as a, as a rookie cop, and I've clearly promoted above my abilities already, so uh, no one can really accuse me of being a sellout, but you would watch people promote up through the ranks and you'd be like oh man that guy changed and now that guy's towing the company line that guy's a sellout and he drank the kool-aid and (laughs) and i would argue that yes we do work for those people they're there. absolutely agreed um those people are in your organization no matter where you are doesn't matter what you do for a living but i would also argue that some of that's a matter of perspective because i hope you change If you're the same person you were when you started your job, then you've done nothing to educate yourself or improve your knowledge or situational awareness of where you're at. And so we have to give people that opportunity to change. And where the troops see that most is, are you spending that time with them? Are you seeing what it's like in the trenches? And are you communicating that to your upper management whatever that might be in your chain and then are you communicating the situational awareness and the big picture back down now right now we're going through a horrible time of defunding the police and uh, if your community's not going through being uh your agency's not being attacked their budget being attacked their training being attacked then good for you because uh i want to get it out to the troops who all want to change positions but My point of this is leading up the chain, it's important for you to positively engage with your direct supervisor, commander, lieutenant, deputy chief, chief, city manager, sheriff, under sheriff of where the troops are at because they spend so much time defending you, defending your budgets, defending personnel allocation, addressing the community's questions about how we operate, that they may miss that. Now in turn, going back down, it's important for us to share that situational awareness with our people. And and I'll give you an example, a lot of people don't know what their chief or sheriff does. And they see them as a political figure and that they forgot where they came from. And sometimes that's true, but a lot of times it's not true. They're just fighting in a different arena than you. And that's where you have to rely on that middle management.
1: Yeah. And, and like we talked about, and the bosses can do a little bit better of taking some of that time away and, you know, or creating the time in their schedule to show up and ride. Don't just show up at ceremonial events, you know, and this is, I'm, I'm talking to myself here, you know, don't just show up at briefing once a shift and give a briefing and call it good. Like at what point can you get out for a little bit a call or two uh, an hour or two um and and at some point get there and have some of that communication to help help clue them in help dial them in on, on what exactly it is and, and what's going on i think it's really really healthy for an organization for um for those type of things to happen and you know um one of the things that i like there on on the uh, you know that page two thirty seven that you're talking about talks about leading up the chain takes more uh, savvy and skill than leading down the chain because leading up the leader cannot fall back on his or her uh, positional authority. Um, instead, the subordinate leader must use influence, experience, knowledge, communication, and maintain the highest professionalism. But I'd ca- I'd, I'd I'd caution those bosses that are listening to this too about don't fall back on your positional authority, you know, um, in, in those things, it's not a, you know, because I said, or anything like that. I mean, it's explain the why get to the Simon Cynic, you know, explain, explain their why, you know, and, and help them develop that and help them see what exactly it is. And not, not just a, because I said, so type mentality. So, um, it, it's a really, it's a really good. Good opportunity for uh, for you to be able to get out and and explain that, include them in as to to what you what you have and what you're seeing and what you're what you're thinking. And that will help mitigate some of those. Oh, he's changed. He's forgot where he came from. Um, you know the the perspective does change a little bit, and uh, the perspective does grow um, a, a little bit, but it's also good to get out from behind a desk and realize that, um, that's not the reality in the vacuum from which uh, decisions are being made by our officers right now. You know, most people that are in command these days never warp, uh, uh, um, you know, a, a camera. They might have different uh, property booking procedures. There might be different reporting systems. They may not have done any RIPA entries on their own. Um, there's a, a whole variety of things. The job is just different and it's wise to get out there and take a look you know, as to what's happening.
0: Yes. And uh, to move it along a little bit. I like the example uh in the book, I want to say it's 239, 240, where we talk about they. And it's very easy to say they. And uh really until your organization you get to the point where you're part of the they, it's easy to just blame the they. And uh a great example in that is a story Jocko tells a story and he asks an executive, do you think the company's senior executives at corporate headquarters want you to fail? The field manager looked puzzled. He had clearly never considered the question. Could they be scheming about how to make your job more difficult? How they can keep you and your team flustered with questions, scrutiny, and paperwork on how they might totally sabotage your mission? And that's a great question to ask because it's very easy. The one thing cops around the country are good at is complaining. We're all good at it. I'm good at it. You're good at it. Everybody below us is good at it. Everybody above us is good at it. And to remember, uh, there is no they. It's us. And how how can we take some ownership on that? So I'll quote. Uh, do you want to add to that before I read the next quote? No, man. I think that's. Uh, I think you, you said it quite well. Well, it's just because I read it from a book. But thank you. Uh,
1: <laughs> Your reading is, is uh, really progressing, man.
0: Oh, thanks. I've been working on it, especially the big words. I haven't had to sound out anything yet. I realized that if my chain of command had questions about my plans or needed additional information on more detailed paperwork, it was not their fault. I said it was my fault. I knew we were making the right decisions and being careful to mitigate every risk we could control. I knew our combat operations were critical to achieving strategic victory in Ramadi. So if my boss wasn't comfortable with what I was doing, it was only because I had not clearly communicated it to him. Now, that's a great principle because we talk about this a lot throughout Cato. 99% of the coppers out there are making the right choice but we've done a poor job as a profession of explaining why they're making the right choice and and giving them that education so they can explain why and uh, if you look at this if you're getting a lot of those questions you got to ask yourself should I have taken time prior to this and what can I do after this event to educate my direct report on what we're doing to make them feel comfortable. Because if they're not comfortable, they're not gonna say yes. And so either you're doing something wrong or they don't understand something you're doing. And either way, there's some ownership there. Now it's not all the subordinate's fault, and I'm not trying to say that, but you can only control yourself. So take ownership of your part and do your best to meet those people halfway.
1: I agree and and uh you know kind of just to to wrap it up and bring it all back full circle. If you're listening to this and if you're interested, um, which if you're still listening at this point in the podcast, maybe you are, or you're really bored, but um, I, I'd say that the three takeaways again is just understanding your role and what you're doing and how it interfaces with the uh, the strategic plan and and that's occurring. If you are in a supervision role, Make sure you are relaying that information back down the chain of command that you're getting out from behind uh, your desk and your chair and you're getting to some uh, line level troops to be able to help relay that information um, and clarify your end state and your intent as to what it is that you want. And for any of us um, who have a boss and we all do, you know, uh, working as cops and whatever rank we are... Make sure that you're being able to take this information and you're, you're taking the responsibility, um, upon yourself to be able to communicate information up the chain of command to, to educate, um, your bosses. So there's a lot of stuff that's out there that you can look at, uh, leadership wise. This is a great, uh, great book. And, uh, it was just really one that, uh, that kind of helped clarify a lot of things in my life. And so I hope it's, uh, hope it was, uh, was helpful for you too
0: thanks Brent. hope you guys enjoyed the discussion please feel free to shoot us an email with any feedback especially if it's nice don't forget to rate the podcast and if you think the stuff we're doing is valuable to you please share it with a friend Brent and I uh, do not get paid to do this podcast which is obvious if you listen to it but uh we do want to support Cato as uh, best we can as we try to improve the organization we got a lot of moving parts going on right now uh, hopefully we'll have some more updates for you as we all try to survive 2020. Thank you for listening to the Cato Podcast. To become a member of Cato, check out our website at catonews.org. If you have a topic suggestion, please send them to podcasts at catonews.org. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and rate us on the platform of your choice.